You know, last yeah. week we got so excited. We didn't even we didn't even do the yo yo yo. So I gotta say, yo yo yo, and welcome back to another episode of the Nick and Griff Show. Today is July tenth. It's nine thirty a.m. and uh, we are excited to hop in here again. You know, we've already had a little bit of a conversation. Uh, let's just jump right into the numbers here and check out the markets. Um, you know, again, I guess uh, to to everyone's. Uh, to everyone's non-belief, uh, Bitcoin is up and down still, as we can all imagine. Um, it looks like today we're uh, we're down again, uh, down back down to twenty thousand, uh, twenty thousand nine hundred. But we actually had a little run up here uh, this past week. Here's the here's the past week. We went from what is this? Right at about twenty up to just over twenty two at one point, and then we kind of floated a little bit. And now we're right back at twenty twenty thousand nine hundred. Um, and the S and P, I believe, had a, another uh, had a, a, another not another, but a good week. Um, so that that came up. It's currently sitting at thirty eight hundred. Um, everything's still down, kind of in the month to three months. You know all that stuff. You know What's what is year? interesting? Check out this. Check out this DXY uh, dollar index. Look at this. This is the strength of the dollar increasing, increasing, increasing. Look at this. 10 years, all time. The dollar value was not this high since, has not been this high since 2002-ish. What does that mean? That's a little confusing to me. So this is, this is a really strange one because we've got, we've got U.S. treasuries yielding negatively against inflation. We've got the United States GDP contracting. Um, which I believe those numbers for Q2 of 2022 are coming out soon or may have just come out. I haven't looked yet, but they come um, out in two weeks, 25th. Couple weeks. Okay. So, so in, in Q1, we had a 1.4% contraction. I, I heard some people talking about uh, predictions of a ne- another negative 2%, which by definition would be a recession, right? Two quarters in a row of negative GDP or contracting GDP is a recession. Um, and, and then you've got foreign foreign currencies uh, inflating at double digits. Now we're seeing all over the world, and we're also seeing there uh, obviously uh, to to uh, on the opposite side of inflation, we're seeing those foreign currencies decrease in value and the dollars increasing in value. So what does that mean? That means that shit is getting real tight. That means we're coming to a head. That means that it's it's more expensive for foreign nations to trade with us, right? Because their currency is worth less and ours is worth more. Um, where they want to save their money in, in U.S. dollars is, is, getting more, uh, is getting more expensive and yielding negatively. Um, and, and GDP is contracting, meaning we're not exporting uh, as much of the country is contracting, right? Um, the economy is contracting. Th- these are not good things, right? These are not good things. Um, looking at kind of looking at volatility, uh, the CBOE, the Chicago Board Option Exchange Volatility Index, or more commonly known as the VIX, you can kind of see in the in the all time. Let's just do the ten year look. Um, I mean, here's here's kind of you know I, I guess you could say your average is right around. Um, you know, looks like I don't know anywhere from like twenty seven down to what are some of these lows? This low was nine, but look at how much higher it is right now. You know, in these last couple of years, it goes way up during COVID, comes back down, and now it's still it's still gone up pretty high. And 
it's sitting right now at 24, which is, you know, back here in June or January of 2016 is at 27. So, I mean, we're approaching, uh, and, and this is kind of an average level right for right now. And so the volatility is higher than it typically is. Um, we know that the uh, Dow Jones and the, uh, and the NASDAQ all look pretty similar to the S&P. Looking at the 10-year, man, it's crazy, isn't it? How you have this huge run-up from COVID. You have this huge run-up from COVID, and now we're seeing this huge fall-off. And I think well, we're seeing the huge fall-off because it wasn't real in the first place, right? Um, I mean, look well, at this 08, big well, it as well. Big, big it's so. <clears throat> my only question is like, how far can we fall? Because, like you said, ten year two thousand eight was obviously a pretty large crash, but we've shot straight up since then. We would believe on this podcast, I believe mostly because of QE, QE, and a little bit more QE, and obviously COVID inflation. Uh, stimulus and, and, and uh, like you that. can't forget QE, but you can't forget QE. I mean, like that's just <laughs> the craziest thing ever. Like it's crazy that they proposed that and didn't like it wasn't just like boom public information. Yeah, so inflation is going to be crazy in like a certain number of years. It was already getting bad too before um, it was at what eight percent last month. It's been pretty bad uh, for some consistent months. I was going to share the Fed's balance sheet real quick and get your take on that. I don't know if you've ever looked at this, but this is the Federal Reserve's <clears throat> balance sheet. And when did they announce QT? It's supposed to happen in June. Um, I think they've already begun doing that, but I'm not exactly sure though. Well, they haven't posted it because total assets actually went up April to May. So it would have to go down at some point, you'd mm. think. But well, I don't know. I just find it interesting. Um, they're saying one thing. They're going to try to do one thing. I mean, like, they're trying to kill demand. They're trying to yeah. curb everybody from <clears throat> wanting to participate. Because the Fed sees the fact that we probably need a recession. The government does not want a recession. I mean, Democrats could not want anything less than a recession. It just makes them look yeah. terrible. So <clears throat> we're at this weird time where the Fed and the White House, I don't think, agree. And I don't really know how that's going to shake out because they do have to start QTing if we're ever going to you know, see prices that we ever saw before. You literally can't. Otherwise, it doesn't work. Like, I don't understand what everybody thinks. I'm not even sure if QT would fix inflation. It doesn't make the world deflationary. I mean, like, things can get cheaper to a point, but inflation has already, I mean, gone up quite a bit. I mean, they printed 40% of our money. I don't know what the official inflation rate is. I know it was like an 8%. I don't know what you think it'll be. It's Monday or Tuesday this week it gets announced uh something like that yeah i was gonna show yeah. you uh show you this too so in the the cares act can you see can you see this here yeah um so the cares act that uh that they had signed in uh it was either i, I think it was 2020 um actually added m uh like savings accounts uh money market accounts all those things to the m1 money supply so if you look at uh, let's let's just look this up real quick here. So M one so M one money supply, um, you see this huge this huge jump here, right? I mean that that is like that's scary to see that large of a jump. 
But it's easy to to miss that in the CARES Act, um, all those savings accounts and money market accounts that were typically in that were previously in M2 money supply actually got added to M1 money supply. So this huge shift from, you know, what is this in in billions? So that's four trillion dollars shoots up to 16 trillion almost overnight um, is actually not just an increase in the money supply. Um, that is just uh, M2 money supply being added to M1 money supply. Um, so the more accurate measure of money supply today is M2. Um, and whenever you look at the M2 money supply, um, you can actually see the real life printing here. And maybe there's some more details that I'm missing, right? But still, February 2020, we're looking at $15 trillion in M2 all the way up to $18 trillion, uh, pretty quick there. So that's from... February of 2020 to, you know, June of, of 2020. So a little less than six months. Right. And, and you can see that that money supply has increased since all the way through to, you know, here we are today where it's, it's, it started to reduce down a little bit. Zoom this in a little bit here. So we can, can you go to max? Can you just huh? go all the way back? Can you go as far back as possible? Yeah. Let's, let's see. That's, or that's just... the max there. So you can see, we can see that the money supply has increased over time. Obviously, right. This is as far back as it goes. So this is, this just goes back to 1980. So maybe I, I don't know why it doesn't go back further. No, but you, I think you have to click them. Did you click the max button? I did click it. Yeah. Maybe it's. I be, oh, I think I honestly think it's because they actually only started reporting, like around that time. Yeah. Which is so funny, but there's other places to get the information. I think. But you know, the interesting piece about this is that uh, we get to buy the hardest freaking money known to man or what will soon be the hardest money known to man because technically bitcoin or uh, gold is still a harder money uh because bitcoin is still inflating or the supply is still increasing faster than gold um until the next halving uh so but that that means that we get to buy at discount today the hardest form of money and the value in that hardest form of money is that bitcoin one bitcoin is one bitcoin that is uh really the main point of the market check every time around but Griff, today I'm excited to talk about this topic that we've got prepared on volatility. Uh, volatility is a big piece that people like to talk about, um, especially people that haven't done any of the research, right? All they see is the is the the Bitcoin price, and that's that's pretty much the entire sentiment uh, of the market, right? That's exactly how people base their opinions on whether Bitcoin is doing good or doing bad, right? I think volatility is uh, is a little bit deceptive in some sense. Uh, because you're not always comparing apples to apples. Um, you may be comparing not even apples to oranges, like apples to freaking planets or houses or table lamps or something. You know, it's they're just completely different things. Uh, whenever you compare, call it Bitcoin to the S&P 500, right, which a lot of people are doing right now. Um, and it's important to, to understand what the volatility of Bitcoin means. Um, so just a couple of definitions here as we jump in. So volatility uh, is a statistical measure of the dispersion of returns for a given security or market index. In most cases, the higher the volatility, the riskier the security. So volatility is, is often measured as either the standard deviation or variance between the returns of that security or market index. Basically, volatility is how much does it go up and how much does it go down on a regular basis in a set uh, period of time, right? So that's the volatility. Um, and then the dispersion, right, is is basically the 
I, I like to think of this as just a standard deviation, right? But it's the, it's the statistical term that describes the size of the distribution and values expected for a particular variable that can be measured in several different statistics. Um, and, and it mentions here range, variance, and standard deviation. Um, and so volatility in, in, uh, in, a quick, uh, in a quick cap is it's just how much does the price go up and down on a regular basis, right? Um, now, another important piece to note here is the size of that market is so important to how volatile something is. Um, now, I, I like to think of the size of the market cap. Market cap is is a pretty quick and easy rough metric to to find what the total value of that entire market is or that entire security is. Um, but the the uh, Investopedia definition is market capitalization or market cap is the aggregate market value. Aggregate meaning all the pieces added together, right? So the aggregate market value of a company represented in a dollar amount. Uh, since it represents the market value of a company, it is computed based on the current market price uh, of its shares and total number of outstanding shares. Market cap is also used to compare uh, and categorize the size of companies among investors and analysts. So uh, market cap is typically used uh, for individual companies, but you can also use it for entire asset classes like real estate, equities, uh, treasuries, Bitcoin, crypto. You can use it to, to kind of put a rough, a rough size or valuation on an entire market. Um, so as we get started in here into this, um, we've got to talk about market cap and volatility and how these two play in together. Um, so Bitcoin is volatile. Absolutely. Hard stop. Bitcoin is volatile. And there's a reason for that. So uh, in order to kind of wrap this up into a nice little example, think of it like this. Um, if if a market if a market capitalization of uh, industry X is, let's call it uh, $100. We're going to make this super simple. It's $100 total market value. And that price drops by, or the market capitalization drops by uh, uh, $10. That's a 10% uh, decrease in total value. Uh, that That is, um, that's volatility in some sense, right? It's a decrease in value. Uh, now, if it also were to go from a hundred uh, hundred dollars in market cap to hundred and ten, that's that it's not an exact ten percent. That's an, yeah, it's a ten percent increase. So exactly ten percent increase. Now, if if it went up ten and down ten, that's a that's volatility, right? There's a standard deviation you can find there uh, it, 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 that would show you what it goes up and down on a regular basis. So, uh, but it's important to note that the the market cap plays a huge role in the volatility argument, right? So Bitcoin, the price goes up and down by how, how many times has, has we, have we seen an 80% drawback in the history of, of Bitcoin Griff? Do you have any idea? Four times? Is that an exact number? It's so, it's something think, like that, right? There, it's think, happened well, multiple I times. Know, I do know that it's only been four times that basically Bitcoin as it sits at 20,000 is like an insanely good buy, I think because of how far the drawback is. Yeah. So I think it's happened four times. Yeah. So, uh, and, and then the next question would be how many times have we seen 80% drawbacks in the S and P 500? I don't know that we've ever seen an 80% drawback in the S and P 500. Uh, I think we probably actually have maybe a couple of times, uh, but it's significantly less and it's significantly less volatile than Bitcoin. 
Why is that? Let's talk about market cap. Again, market cap is the total aggregate market value of a company, of an industry, of an asset class, whatever we're looking at, right? Now, the importance is that the market cap, as it increases, that means that, uh, that the amount of money or value that you would have to put into the market or take out of the market to impact that, uh, that entire uh, market value is, is significantly altered. So uh, if, if we want to have a ton of control over the price of some asset class that has a massive market capitalization, we are going to have to have a lot more capital to move that market. Whereas on the opposite hand, something that's got a much smaller market capitalization, we can utilize a smaller amount of capital to move that market in the same percentage, right? So think about this. Uh, do you know what Bitcoin's market capitalization is right now, Griff? $400 billion, $411 billion? It's right, right around $400 billion, somewhere, give or take, right? I think it's just over $400 billion. Uh, I I, that's yeah. a lot of money, man. That's a lot of, that's a lot of value. $400 billion is a lot. Uh, how about the S and P 500? This is probably one of the most traded, uh, United States securities, uh, in the entire world, as far as indexes. Um, do you have any idea what the market cap of the S and P 500 is? 30 trillion. I think only because you told me about it before. <laughs> it is. It's it's right around thirty trillion. Again, give or take, right? It's a little, little more, a little less. Uh, what does that mean? It's much less volatile, huh? That's what it means for sure. I said it's much less volatile. That's what it means for sure. If it's at thirty, it's a trillion, ton less volatile, right? I mean, think of yeah. the, how much how much does your uh, how much does you know? Let's call it a million dollars. How much does a million dollars impact? A total market pool, if you will, right? Total market capitalization or pool of thirty trillion dollars versus that million dollars affecting four hundred billion dollars. Well, you're going to have a lot less impact on something that's significantly larger than if if you were to uh, to play in something that has a significantly less market cap. Think of it like a pool, right? If you throw if you throw a rock in a pool you're probably going to see the wake of that rock through the whole pool, depending on the size, depending on the rock, right? If you were to throw that same rock in one of the oceans, right? One of the major oceans on the earth, you're not going to see, you're not going to see the uh, dispersion of that energy through the entire ocean. And that's exactly what volatility in these different markets is. Uh, so in this example, comparing the S and P 500 to Bitcoin, Bitcoin is the pool and the S&P 500 are all the oceans combined. This is what we're talking about, right? So whenever we think about, man, Bitcoin is so volatile and you use that as an argument against Bitcoin, well, it's, it's, uh, it's not a strong argument because you're not comparing apples to apples, right? You're, you're trying to compare the impact of throwing uh, you know, a, a one-pound rock into a pool, into a small pool, versus throwing a one-pound rock into the oceans, it's just not the same. It's significantly different. Griff, what are your thoughts on that so far? I just like your analogy a lot. I thought Mainly. it was a pretty good one, right? Yeah, I thought that analogy was fucking fantastic. I uh, kind of compare that analogy to <clears throat> it take you could count to a million in a year or something like that. Like you could count to a million in weeks. 
to count to a billion, it would take you like 31 years to count to the number of billion. So kind of like similar to that analogy. Like I love how you said, throw it into the ocean because that's kind of what money is at this point. Like there's so much of it and it's so inflated. It's like the deleveraging is going to take quite a bit of time. I mean, it's just people can't, um, people can't expect like, they can't expect a crash. I, I, I think I see so many people calling out a great recession or depression. This might be one of the slowest grind downs ever. I mean, that's kind of how I see it. I don't know what you think, but um, with the way everything is leveraged and how it works um, and how non-volatile, I mean, like it's been crashing all year, but like you still have a lot of people that are able to somehow not lose as much money. Or if you're a good trader, you can even make some money. So yeah. I'm not so sure like how the the crash goes, you know what I'm saying? I'm not sure how like things change, but I would say if there's $30 trillion in uh, stocks and we're not even talking about the bond market yet, how much money's in bonds and treasuries, like, tr- I mean, we're trillions and trillions of dollars, hundreds of trillions of dollars. How much of that value can actually be transported into a network that we know as Bitcoin? And yeah. only 21 million. Um, what does that make it worth? Did you say like if Bitcoin's market cap was $30 trillion, the price of one Bitcoin would be what? Uh, say that again. Oh, yeah. yeah. I don't I don't know. I mean, what would that be? $30 trillion divided by 21. Let's see. I mean, that's I don't, just... even, know. I don't even know if I can. I'm going to have to turn my phone sideways mm-hmm. to do $30 trillion. I mean, it's okay, so there's 30 million, whatever there's the price is now. Times okay, now. there's 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 our number. There's our 30 trillion dollar number. If we divide that by 21 million, that is going to give us a total market value of one Bitcoin at one point four million dollars. I think that's where happen. that and that's assuming. But, you know, again, though, I don't know. You know, I think that I think that Bitcoin will still stay separate from the equities market. I think it will be a separate deal. I think that there probably will be a ton of value moved to Bitcoin away from equities. Um, but I think that there is still going to be a separate equities market. But it's it's significantly going to grow. And Griff, I got to show you this because I don't think I've ever shown you this before. And Although, you, do you uh, feel you, before you move off that point? Do you feel that? There are certain industries and certain companies within the S&P 500 that Bitcoin will suck value from just because of what Bitcoin network is. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. You're going to love this, Griff, here. Um, So talking about the size of all these different asset classes, check this out. Okay. So this is all the world's money and markets in one visualization. So think about this. It says how this visualization works. One square here, each square is this size is worth uh, $100 billion. And then on the right side here, there's context to each and every piece here. So silver has a market cap of $100 billion. Cryptocurrency uh, has, you know, somewhere around you know, obviously over a hundred billion, right? But we can see these different things. I'm not going to get into the details. I'm just going to scroll here and just kind of let you get a visual. Military spending, U.S. budget deficit, coins and banknotes, the Fed's balance sheet added since 2020 right here. Look at that. 
January 1, 2020, added since. Billionaires, gold. Uh, this says here, the, the world's gold, the world's total above-ground gold reserves are estimated at 197,576 tons of world gold, uh, tons by the World Gold Council. Uh, gold's, uh, world, the, the world's gold is worth $10.9 trillion. So $10.9 roughly trillion uh, dollar market cap. Here's the Fortune 500. Here's the stock markets. Griff, you're going to shit your pants here in a second. Watch this. Money supply. Okay, here's the total money supply. Global debt. Look at this. Households right here. You've got governments. You've got non-financial corporates. You've got the financial sector. Global real estate. Here's residential, right? This huge piece is residential. Commercial, agricultural. Global wealth. Look at this. According to Credit Susie, all global wealth tallies to $360.6 trillion. 31.8% is here in North America, which is interesting to think about. Europe, Asian, Asia Pacific. I mean, look at this stuff. Derivatives. Look at the derivatives market. Holy shit. This is that. I mean, what are we talking about? Is that not crazy? I mean, it, this is this is a great website for for anybody that's just curious to see what the size of this this stuff is here. But look at this here. So billions, trillions, or quadri quadrillions. This is this is value. This is total value here in billions. So silver, forty four billion. Now I don't know exactly when this was put together, but cryptocurrencies, as we know, Bitcoin itself is at four hundred billion. So this is 244 billion. It's saying for cryptocurrency. So this has got to be old data, um, but but we can we you can get the feel here, right? You can get the feel here of what we're looking at. But uh, I mean, dude, how crazy is that? I just think it's a run up of I mean, gold, but fiat currency for a long, long time now. And yeah, derivatives. I derivatives. Obviously, that is like. The least shocking but most shocking one at the same time because yeah. obviously <clears throat> trading futures shorting call options all these different types of trades people make uh i think is an industry we could just do away with if i'm being completely honest because it just doesn't add any value to the world i mean that's why i really like was shocked at that one because it's like how many smart um innovative people are just trading derivatives yeah i mean it's just like but for what to stabilize the market no like that's what they're allegedly intended to do manipulate a market yes because money is pretty centralized if you would not agree so it's like i don't know that was pretty shocking to see derivatives being that big but um not shocking because understanding what derivatives is a little bit but all at the same time <laughs> Money, the money supply is controlled by 31.8% of the United States, but really like the wealthy billionaires, you could see how much money they had even relative to some of these market caps. I don't know. There you go. This, this, says, uh, this says the primary purpose behind derivative contracts is the transfer of risk without the need to trade the underlying asset. This allows for more effective risk management within companies and the broader economy. 
In addition, the derivatives market plays a role in information discovery and market efficiency. You know, see, this is this is where this is where I, I, I feel like I have like some some conflicting beliefs because, you know, I believe in insurance. I believe that insurance is good uh, I, instead of, in, you know, well, think about this. Think about this. Insurance is necessary or insurance is good. If if you have a two hundred thousand dollar home, do you want to insure that home by keeping two hundred thousand dollars of liquid capital on the side just in case it burns down and you need to rebuild? Or would you rather pay a monthly premium and transfer uh, the, that opportunity cost to an insurance company? I would rather use an insurance company. I would rather do that. A hundred percent. I would rather a home doesn't cost so much money. I mean, fair, fair enough, right? But that's but, why I'm saying necessary or good because we're on a Bitcoin podcast. So I'm going to dream about the great future of Bitcoin and fair. go, it is it is fair to say that like with technology nowadays, the world should be getting cheaper and cheaper for people. Like money should be doing better. And obviously it's not, which is like, it means the money is failing because your money just shouldn't lose power. But I do get what you're saying. Yes. Like in today's world, insurance is absolutely necessary. I mean, I'm not Mm going to buy a home and then not insure it. I'm not going to buy a car and not insure it because I don't have, uh, not not everybody just carries around liquid cash nowadays. They put it into a, an investment portfolio they can't touch. They and that's and that's the value of insurance, right? Real, real quick, right. and and I don't I don't want to dwell on that piece. But what I think is funny here is that it's they they talk about the transfer of risk, which is this is where I feel like I'm conflicted because I, I I understand and I and I like that principle, but also at the same time in a Bitcoin world. Uh, it's about self-sovereignty, right? It's about taking responsibility. It's about being accountable for what you're doing. And in this whole derivatives market, uh, I mean, it, it just said uh, the purpose is to transfer risk without having to trade or sell the underlying asset. And it, it's like, it's like, I, hey, I want to do this and I want to take some risk, but I don't want to take the risk to take that risk. And you're like, yeah, wait a minute, you, somebody who who's taking responsibility? Who's accountable for it's, what it's for the actions that are taken? You know, and you want to know what? Bitcoin, obviously, was Celsius, uh, Three Arrows, <clears throat> uh, Voyager. Uh, I mean, how Coinbase being weird about how much Bitcoin they actually have. Yeah, maybe Bitcoin is just showing you on in a micro scale what could happen on a macro scale, because that is what the world is leveraged on at this point. Is the exact same thing. People who think they're smarter than money, and I think at the end of the day, money gets everybody because. Money is, um, as we discussed on like the first, like what is Bitcoin? I don't know, man. Like like time. Bitcoin is changing what money is to the world. Just like it's, the internet Bitcoin changed. Is just about but, everything, right? Well, I mean, it it's it's a new paradigm. Like it is changing the world. The internet changed the world. The printing press changed the world. Yeah. Agriculture changed the world. Bitcoin it's is industry. more in line with those things than. Right. And those things I'm telling you, like the printing press, bro, there was crypto scams to the printing press. I promise. I mean, like all great innovations, there are detractors. It, it, it yeah. it's just is what it is. The coolest thing about Bitcoin is that nobody owns it. I mean, like it's nobody's. It's the people's. And yeah. it doesn't have a, like any marketing team or anything like that. And look at where it's at relative to all these other ones. Like, I just don't understand, like as we get to minute 40 of this podcast, like I do every time. What are people not already seeing in Bitcoin is um, 
much to do, I think, with just how everybody gets information nowadays. I think that the way people get information, we all get into these weird, different little rabbit holes. And unfortunately, um, you know, like we said the other day, you have to trust your own intuition at some point. Everybody makes their own choices and not all of them are going to be right. It's not, I'm sure I make a bunch of poor choices. Like I think maybe those carnivore diets are good. Maybe they're not. <laughs> I don't really know, right? I haven't done the real research to know whether the carnivore diet is good or not. But with Bitcoin, yeah. I have because I've been in the carnivore diets of Bitcoin with the cryptos, with the Dogecoins. And now I'm like, I've been all Bitcoin for a while now. And it's like, yeah, because when you listen to Sailor talk about it and he like really equates Bitcoin to these huge things that happen. Bitcoin is the biggest thing that will happen in our lifetimes. I mean, it just is because it's already too big. I mean, like it, it can't, it's not going to be undone now. It's out there. And while people will still try to make money from crypto, I mean, undoubtedly they will continue to try to do it until it gets regulated. And even the SEC chair, Gary, GG homie, Gensler, he was like, Bitcoin's the only commodity out of all the projects. He's like, it's the only commodity. It's like, yeah. I mean, then that's the truth. For sure. Even to this day, nobody has been able to make a truly decentralized product better than Bitcoin. So it's probably yeah. not going to happen at this point. Something yeah. would have had to have already built it for it to have like even been close to Bitcoin. The next big yeah. thing I think will be a side chain uh, on Bitcoin. But this is all more in line, all the way back to volatility. One Bitcoin will always be one Bitcoin. So it's perfectly involatile too. I mean, like, I love the conversation about volatility because if you're re- like, volatility is the point where I, if we have some listeners that are at this point, we've all talked about volatility. That's like chapter six. I don't know. In the Bitcoin handbook, volatility is right in there. And Nick is hitting the nail on the head with a lot of it. But Bitcoin is perfectly involatile. Bitcoin changes economics. Bitcoin changes like it changes the world because it could literally change what money is. All these other ones is the same thing. And we've never had perfectly sound money. I mean, we've had renaissances. I mean, I know there's people who write about some of that stuff. Um, and maybe that's what we're headed for. But if we're headed for a renaissance, there's going to have to be some pretty bleak times ahead, to be quite honest, yeah. before we can rise from the ashes a little bit. But uh, So on back on the volatility piece and, and how this is kind of looking right now and what it may look like into the future, right? We've talked about this multiple times here. If you guys are watching, you can see, but... Bitcoin or Bitcoin with a lowercase b or capital B. The lowercase b Bitcoin is the hard money, the sound money, the fixed supply of 21 million Bitcoin. Bitcoin with a capital B is the investments, the network. It's the infrastructure of the entire network. So now think about uh, an adoption S-curve. An adoption S-curve basically goes from zero adoption that nobody's using it to all the way up to the top right where everyone is using it and it's massively adopted and that that adoption s curve is in the shape of an s meaning that it it grows slowly grows real slow and then there's a huge exponential increase in usage and adoption and then it plateaus off as uh, as the vast majority of the market is uh, has been absorbed into that new network right so uh, a couple of couple of thoughts here on that piece is that uh you know, volatility will matter if you're trying to be in and out of the market in a short time period, right? Which we've talked multiple times at nauseum about 
buying and holding Bitcoin for the long term. Bitcoin is not a short term investment in my mind. It may be for somebody that's more speculative. But again, you, you can't time the markets. The markets are emotional. They're not logical. You can't time the markets. And there's a couple of people out there that have done it a couple of times. All those all those, you know, chart gurus out there and stuff. I, don't, I just don't think that there's any way that you can truly time the market. You can follow macro trends and all that stuff, but you can't you can't time the market, right? Um, but but here's the beautiful part is that Bitcoin is volatile right now today in dollar terms, in U.S. dollar terms, but it won't be forever. Um, and, and the beautiful part is as that, that Bitcoin with a capital B, the network and infrastructure, as it continues to grow and it becomes more useful in every day to in, in everyday day-to-day life for everyone uh more people will adopt it because it's a better form of money because it's a more efficient form of money and as more people adopt it what happens they more capital floods into the asset class as more capital floods into the asset class the market capitalization increases right the total size and the pool of that asset class increases and what happens when your market capitalization increases the volatility decreases. Now, these are these are all in terms of US dollars, right? So again, you've got to you've got to be very conscious of your perspective because if we always look at things in terms of US dollars, then we're then we're missing the point, right? We're missing well, the point. But and I, the fact of the matter is that today we do live in a dollar denominated world, and it's it's the only way that we're able to utilize uh or the, or the only way that we're able to value and in, in conceptualize in our minds what the value of something is right because that's what we're that's what we've grown up with that's what the world is that we live in uh you know i i love the idea of of using bitcoin as your base money and valuing things in bitcoin but the reality is that i pay for everything that i pay for in dollars i make my income in dollars and that's how that's how i conceptualize the world right so in terms of volatility with the dollar Yes, Bitcoin is volatile right now. Its market cap is also significantly almost uh, what, what would what would what percentage would uh, would four hundred billion be of thirty trillion? Let's let's do some quick math here. Let's see, quick math and have okay. Four hundred billion. Oh, I'm off there. Uh, either way, it's very tiny. <laughs> so I don't, I don't... I also, I want to draw a comparison to, or just kind of make a couple analogies as well when we're talking about Bitcoin, because this is the truth. If you've studied it, Nick was talking about how it's the base layer, right? Like there's a base layer. Bitcoin is the base layer of the network right now. It is the base layer to what really? And in my opinion, Nick would kind of, I think, like this comparison. Uh, Manhattan, if you could buy the real estate in Manhattan. And I don't mean that from a real estate perspective, because that's what a lot of people say about Bitcoin. I mean that from a network perspective. The United States had network effects. It's 1.3%. It's 1.3%, Griff. What we were doing here in the United States is building a network at, at at some level. And Bitcoin is only in its 13th year. But you're getting to buy it in its 13th year. You're like getting to buy America in its 13th year. And America was largely built on, I mean, freedom, um, capitalism, 
democracy up until like nowadays, we're not really there anymore. But if you buy Bitcoin, it's like you get to buy an America that can never change. It's always going to be the same. It's not really governed by anybody. And I think that's really important. Like when you think about it, like when you're buying it right now, yeah, you're buying this um, asset class that money will pour into it because it's not volatile and everything else is. But also, very much also, the network that's getting built on it, like what will get built from Bitcoin layer one to Bitcoin layer two to Bitcoin layer three, then Bitcoin layer four. Like this is the question to ask, Nick, when Bitcoin is worth a million, two million, three million, four million, when your Bitcoin is worth so much US dollar, you don't give a shit. What is it going to take from an entrepreneur on a Bitcoin layer three to get your Bitcoin? Just and, and and just to get a million sats, because that's how much a million sats are going to be worth. They're going to be worth enough to literally start a company in the Bitcoin network. What's it going to take from you? Because you're an early investor. You're going to be one of the people that really does have way more Bitcoin than everybody else. What's it going to take? I mean, I'm talking you're 80 years old. You still have how much fucking Bitcoin? You got mansions, castles, whatever you want. Yeah. And somebody says, Nick, I want your Bitcoin. And here's the here's the difference between what happened in America and now what Bitcoin is. Even at 80 years old, after you have all the stuff and everything, it might still be really hard to get your Bitcoin. If you're somebody who's just like, why? Because one yeah. Bitcoin will always be one Bitcoin. So the innovation that comes from the Bitcoin network in comparison to what's happened in America, although America at the beginning of this podcast, we literally started talking about, you know, it's not like America, like the concept of like what we've done here has failed. Like the world is a better place now than it was 50 years ago, unarguably, just from like a medicine standpoint, like a, a civilization standpoint, technology standpoint, like it has, we've, it, it's not a failed experiment, but how much better is Bitcoin going to be from the simple fact that the people buying it right now are going to be in control of who gets to build on it at a certain point, right? When yeah. the price, Nick said, when the price becomes not volatile in Bitcoin, all you need to know is that that theoretical price is in the millions. And to get somebody's Bitcoin at that point, you're going to have to actually ask them for the best form of money to ever exist. So what kind of innovation is going to sprout from there? I don't know, because it's going to take a lot for somebody to get my Bitcoin, but I will invest, right? Like we will grow the network. We will put our sats into something we feel like is going to get us a return and at the same time build a better world. But I would argue that a Bitcoin world is going to be umpteen stronger than what the American empire has been. Just from the standpoint that investors build the world. I mean, you have to get the money from somewhere. Entrepreneurs have to go to somebody at some point for money. And if those people are giving money with the best intentions possible, just because one Bitcoin is always one Bitcoin and it's perfectly non-volatile, how much better is the world going to be? I don't really know, but... That's kind of what I was thinking to this whole volatility speech you were given. It's like, dude, when there's no volatility, how much better is the world going to be? Because when you hold the money, you don't have to worry about beating inflation. You don't have to worry about uh, investing it and hiding it and hiding it from taxes and doing all this stuff. All you got to focus on is building a better world when nothing's volatile. And if you know Bitcoin, yeah. you're investing in something that at some point, this U.S. dollar price, you're looking at point point. Oh, what, oh, 2 million? I mean, it's only there's only 21 million Bitcoin, guys. There's more millionaires in the world than there are Bitcoin. 
Yeah. You have to really, you have to think about that because Bitcoin does not care. It's going to keep going. The network will continue to grow. You can yeah. cry all you want, but that has literally been the case for the last 13 years. That's yeah. the investment. The investment is the network. The money is, the money is so when you, you make this investment, the money is so that when it actually works out in 10, 15, 20 years, and you can go to Taco Bell and spend your Bitcoin if you want to lose your sats that way. You can do that. <laughs> but just know the network is going to even grow from there. What we're growing is a monetary network like the U.S. dollar, like the British pound, like yeah. keep on going down the list of empires. But it's one where the investors are plebes buying it right now and holding the hell out of it. Yeah. And I'm telling you guys, there's people that hold this Bitcoin that have had it since 2015, and you are never getting it, ever, because they know what I just said. They know that if they just hold on to it forever, maybe they maybe they won't be the Warren Buffett of this era, but their grand, great-grandchildren will be. Yeah. And that's kind of what we're competing with. So it's kind of interesting that we talk about volatility, and then we also sure. talk about the history of it and what a world could be like without volatility. You can be as optimistic or pessimistic about that as you want, but mm-hmm. you have to see that value as an investor. Like that's yep. that's the value. Like you're literally getting all the benefits of what this network will be, and you can never get debased. It will never happen. That's yep. you. You've never been able to offer that. And eventually, when the Rothschilds hear that, they're going to be like, "I need to buy as much as I can." Literally, that's what they're going to say, and they're going to yep. come and try and get it from you any way possible. I mean, we're talking, dude, they took everybody's gold. That's been an episode of ours on this podcast. And as the world gets crazier and crazier, it's so funny, Nick. We did that. We started this podcast, what, January of this year? January, yep. The world's going crazy. You don't think that at some point a perfectly non-volatile network, as we talk about volatility, that a government's not going to try and come for it. The richest families in the world aren't going to try and come for it. They will. Because at that point, if they don't get enough, they won't have the same luxuries they have today and they will fight for that. But for sure. Yeah. You, you know, when uh, you have, we got to stop telling people because then they're going to come for your ass at some point. <laughs> That's for what sure. some people say. Well, you know, I, I mean, some of my key takeaways here are this volatility doesn't matter if you buy and hold for the long term, Right. And, and I think that this is just an investment and savings principle you shouldn't be investing and saving more than what you're comfortable doing, right? I mean, I know that you and I are pretty pretty good about this, but I think there's a lot of people out there that are over-leveraging themselves or maybe investing or saving money uh, that, uh, that, they, that they're going to need in a couple of weeks or that they may need uh, in a couple of days. You shouldn't do that. Don't What's do that. What's the easiest way to lose all your money, in my That's opinion? the easiest way to lose all your money, and, and you're going to be stressed. You're going to be stressed the F out. if you Don't do yes. that. The money that I invest in Bitcoin is not money that I'm going to need anytime soon. It's my long-term savings, right? And that's the beauty of it. Um, more, more on that, if, if you buy and hold for the long term, you don't have to worry about it, right? Um, and, and, you know, another thing that, that is super funny that is that Bitcoin always gets this comparison to the S&P 500. A, Bitcoin is a commodity. It's a, it's a hard asset. It's not a security. So, so you're already different there. Um, but, but the, the size of Bitcoin by market cap is 1.3% roughly of the S and P 500 market cap. I mean, Bitcoin is 
tiny compared to the S&P 500, which again, makes it more volatile. The smaller the market cap, the more volatile something can and probably will be. Um, a little bit further, uh, the dollar price of Bitcoin does matter. It does give us insight into the adoption of Bitcoin, right? And as we talked about earlier, uh, as adoption increases, more capital flows into that asset class. And as more capital flows into that asset class, the market cap increases. And as the market cap increases, volatility decreases. Um, now, if if Bitcoin's market cap were to increase to that roughly $30 trillion market cap number of the S&P 500, Griff, the price of one Bitcoin would be $1.4 million. Hey, I mean, that's okay with me. And that's, and we're just talking about, we're just talking about the S&P 500. We're not talking about, we're not talking about gold. We're not talking about silver. We're not talking about treasuries. We're not talking about any of that. Just the S&P 500. And, and that's a $1.4 million roughly valuation. Very rough, very rough calculations here, obviously. Um, and so as adoption increases, right, uh, there's, there's no reason to think that uh, there, there is, there is it, 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 market cap will inherently increase as adoption increases, uh, reducing volatility. And so my key takeaways uh, to go back, Bitcoin is volatile for now. And volatility matters if you're trying to time the market, right? You're trying to be in and out of the market quick and you're day trading, but that's not a good idea. You probably shouldn't do that. And Bitcoin is compared to the S&P 500 freaking every day. But it's important to note that they that the two are so much different in terms of purpose and uh, primarily for this com uh, conversation of volatility, they're significantly different in market cap. Again, Bitcoin is 1.3% of the S&P 500 by market cap. That is significant, meaning that, yeah, it should be more volatile. And it is. So that's, uh, that's kind of my thoughts on volatility. You know, I think, I think volatility is kind of a funny argument because this, this one I've had several conversations on. And it's like, it, it, it's funny because you can tell whenever somebody's trying to be aggressive in a conversation they're trying to be off uh, offensive instead of defensive and they're trying to come at bitcoin and say oh well you know yeah you, you want to use bitcoin as a as a medium of exchange as a currency well what happens if i get paid in bitcoin and then i got to pay my rent or my mortgage uh next week and the price of it goes down uh you know 50 percent, and now i can't pay my my mortgage it's like okay well a, right now, the infrastructure isn't even uh, exactly put together where we can do that quite yet. The, the infrastructure hasn't grown to the point where we have mass adoption and the market cap has risen to support uh, the actual use of, of it every single day by people as a medium of exchange. Uh, it, but, but then it's like, yeah, Bitcoin is volatile. Like, obviously, if you're anybody with a brain you can objectively look at Bitcoin and say, wow, this is kind of volatile, you know, and it, but then again, you got to ask yourself uh, the question compared to what? It's volatile, it's volatile compared to, you know, the S&P 500 that everybody's used to investing in. Well, yeah, it absolutely is. But is, does it make sense to compare it to that? Does it make sense to compare Bitcoin to the market cap of the S&P 500? I don't think it quite does. I think that there are a lot of similarities in the way that people trade the two, 
right? People trade Bitcoin and, and the S and P very similar as we as we know that the the markets have have all tracked each other for a while now. The, and I'll say the crypto markets and the S and P five hundred or the equities market they've they've all tracked each other very very similarly, and that's because people treat them similarly. I think that'll change over time because as people learn that Bitcoin is not a security as they as they learn what bitcoin is they're going to realize the value of that and will then start trading it accordingly and the market cap will grow as adoption increases which will reduce volatility and at some point in the future griff i don't know when we are not going to be having this volatility conversation at all it's so it, yeah i think we should wrap it up there but i just think it's awesome um that nobody has figured it out yet because I'm getting all of the sats because I, you talk to other people right now and I tell them, I like buy Bitcoin. They're like, Ooh, 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 it's how you it's doing right now. now. And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, yeah, it's going down. I'm buying more. <laughs> I love that. I'm so excited that it's going go down. I mean, dude, you think about the legends that will be told about you if Bitcoin goes like three grand right now and you're just stacking. You're just like, oh, I, dude, yeah, what do you mean? you're like not even worried about it. I will tell, I would say this. I'm not sure what would get me to stop buying Bitcoin. Um, an absolute crash and hash rate and it just like wiping, it's wiping off of the earth. That would get me scared. Like, yeah, but I wasn't, sure. but, but also with context because that's happened before. And the context was China banned it. And that's where 67% of mine was. So, I, man, I don't know what will ever get me to stop buying Bitcoin. Um, maybe nothing, honestly. I mean, I, I just don't see what is ever going to stop us from continuing to stack sats unless it goes to zero, guys. And if it does, then I'll just buy the whole network. I'll buy all 21 million. But that just is not going to happen. I mean, obviously Bitcoin has quite a bit of support at this point and it's actually a very real tangible thing. <clears throat> I just love it. I love it, Nick. I love the volatility. I love that people think that this is bad for Bitcoin. Like, no, like the problem is, is that you live in a world where you think that your investments just shouldn't go down, like that they can't go down. Like that's not good. Like that's not the actual like nature of investing. And that's not... Uh, the real world. So I don't know. I'm going to keep buying sure. this volatile asset that just plummets 80% and blah, 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 blah. Well, think, think about this too. And, and let's, let's wrap it up with this here and we'll keep this one. Uh, maybe, I, I, I say shorter. Uh, it's we're We're at an hour still already at this point, but I mean, again, checking out the fundamentals, look at this total hash rate. Now the total hash rate for you guys who don't know is uh, just it's basically the 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 total computing power going into the network. Um, let's just look at all time. What does this mean, Griff? This means the network is growing. It means this the is Bitcoin is with a capital B. This is sure. here's your 30 day average. It kind of cleans it up a little bit. And look that at, means uh, the network is growing. The Bitcoin look, investment is growing. Can you click on distribution? Uh, yep. There you go. So there's obviously a lot of pools here. Let's do. I was hoping that there was going to be like a map all over the world. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Right now. That's more yeah, what I just... care about. But I mean, that right there is more diverse than. Here's the network difficulty. So if you guys don't know, there's a there's built into the protocol of Bitcoin is a network difficulty adjustment, meaning as the network increases in, in computing power, 
the difficulty of the network increases as well. So this chart's going to look very similar to the total hash rate chart. So uh, you can see, let's just look at the 30-day average so it kind of uh, cleans it up a little bit. So the total hash rate, you see it cruising up. And then here in, uh, in May of 2021 was when we had that China ban. You see a huge drop in total hash rate there. And since we've roared back, and now America's the number one in uh, hash rate uh, in the world, which is great. But uh, then going back to the network difficulty chart and doing all time, we'll do a 30-day average. Uh, that chart looks almost the exact same, right? So, so it's interesting to see those, those pieces still operating, right? The Bitcoin price is down. Guess what? The fundamentals are still operating. That's and good. It's also good to note Bitcoin is anti-fragile. And it's built to last. It's built to survive. It's like a cockroach. And the world's crazy. I'm not sure you can invest in anything else, any other market, any other commodity, any other asset class that you can say without a doubt isn't at some level manipulated or controlled by our lovely central authority, the United States government, the Fed. I mean, that's important to note because people are getting tired. I mean, look at Sri Lanka. Look at what just happened. They just stormed the prime minister's capital. And that's something that you could very easily see happening in other countries as things worsen because listen everything's cool with people till they can't get their coffee in the morning because it's fifty dollars okay then they're like okay we're not gonna do this anymore we are done and i think that you have to realize that bitcoin is currently the only truly decentralized monetary network that it works today and if a crash of fiat currency truly happens and you believe, if anybody's listening to this, that believes that the dollar is going to go up in flames because, well, it's kind of going up in flames. Bitcoin is the only monetary network outside of a government that you can actually trust because it's trustless. That's it. Like, it's the only one currently. I would love to see something else actually try to compete with Bitcoin. I don't know why, but I would. Yeah. But currently, there's none because they're all sure. crypto games. So. I don't know. Well, that was a that was a fun conversation on volatility. I think that's a good one. Uh, Griff, it's been a, another fun one uh, with you. I love hopping on here uh, on the weekends and getting to chat some Bitcoin. Hey, come check us out on Twitter down here at Nick and Griff Show. Um, if you're watching on YouTube or Spotify, we appreciate it. If you're listening, hey, we love that too. Um, anyways, it's been a good one. I can't wait to hop on here again and go over some more Bitcoin stuff next weekend. But uh, Griff, if you don't have any other final words, I will say peace to the viewers and we will see you next time.